All right, we're in uh, part four of six of this Full Contact Life series, and um, I'm going to ask if you have a Bible to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. That's where we're going to focus today, or you can use the uh, outline on the back of your handout. Words will also be up on the screen. So um, we got to set the stage in case you weren't here last week, or maybe you were here last week and you've had so much happen to you in the past week, you have no clue. You just need a refresher where we were last week. We were in 1 Kings 18. And um, if you haven't read this part of the Bible, this is one of the coolest stories, I think, in the Old Testament. But um, just as a refresher for those who are there, so um, what's going on is that we've got the great prophet Elijah, and he is up on Mount Carmel, and he is in a face-off with all of these prophets of this fertility god, Baal. And Elijah has challenged these prophets of Baal. There's like 400 some of them um, to basically say, okay, let's see, let's, let's figure out whose God is the real God. And so we'll set up two different altars. You set up an altar to your God. Um, I'll set up an altar to Yahweh. And, uh, and all the Jewish people are gathered around and all these prophets are there. And, um, and so all day long, these uh, prophets of Baal are, are dancing and trying to incite their God to, to rain fire from heaven and consume this altar with fire, and that would show that their God is the true God. And so they're going all day long trying to do it, and Elijah is there. You remember what he was doing? He's talking smack, man. I mean, he is just in their faces, just talking smack. You've got to love Elijah. And then, um, and then at the end of the day, they go over to the altar that's set up to Yahweh, the God of Jacob, and um, and. Elijah prays, and God sends fire down from heaven. It consumes the altar, and, um, and it's just this incredible moment for the nation of Israel. They round up all these false prophets of Baal who've been corrupting um, the Jewish faith, and, uh, and they round them all up, and they kill them. And then Elijah goes on and, and goes up to the top of Mount Carmel. He prays to God that God would send rain. It hasn't rained in, in over three years in the land. And um, he prays that God would send rain back on the land and God sends rain. And it is just this most amazing story. And um, so that's what we talked about last week, in case you missed it. Last week was a great message about fighting. And I encourage you to check that out online. Um, so that's where we were in chapter 18. And today we're going to pick it up with what happens after that amazing moment in 1 Kings 19. So before we do that, let's pray. God, we're here this morning looking at your word. Uh, it's a great passage of the Bible, and I just pray you'd speak to each one of us personally. Um, show us something that we can take from your word and apply to our lives today. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, first, night, first Kings 19, verses 1 through 3. It starts like this. It says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. Okay, now, who's Ahab? Who's Ahab? He's the king of who? King of Israel, right? Okay, so he's the king. He's the king of the Jewish people, okay? Worst king in the history of Israel, okay? Just, just so you remember that. So Ahab told Jezebel, who's Jezebel? His wife, okay? She is the one who is not Jewish. She, she was the one who worshiped uh, Baal and, and brought in these false prophets, okay? So, so it says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets of Baal with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, Elijah, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Now, what is amazing to me um, is, is, I mean, we're going to be really talking about Elijah today, 
But is, is Ahab in this story? Ahab is, it's so sad to me. Ahab is just pathetic in this story. I don't know if you were here two weeks ago, but two weeks ago, um, John gave that uh, message about, um, you know, one of the great enemies to a, living a full contact life is just going through the motions where we're not really thinking about why we're doing what we're doing. We're just kind of cruising along. That's a great enemy to full contact life. And you know, Ahab is embodying this right now. You see, because what happened is, you got to remember, Ahab was up on Mount Carmel, okay? King of the Jewish people. He has, he has seen God rain fire down from heaven, confirming who the true God is. And then it hasn't rained in years, you guys. Elijah goes up and he prays, and God returns rain to the land. I mean, if he's the king of the Jewish people, this is like this amazing come back to God moment. But does Ahab come back to God? No, he doesn't come back to God. But you know what? Does he get all fired up and go and, and try and take matters into his own hands and go and, and, and in, in a rage go after Elijah? No, he doesn't do either one. It's like you're just looking for him to do something. I mean, get fired up either for God or against God or just do something. But instead, I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm a guy, but th- this bothers me. He just kind of says, well, honey, did you hear what, what Elijah did? Like, I was up there. Did you hear? Like, he just kind of, pun- I mean, no offense, ladies, okay? I know that you kind of make the world go around a lot of times, okay, in life. Um, but he just, you know, he just basically says, and he just leaves it to his wife to take care of his business. He's the king. And he just, come on, man, like, just don't go through the motions. It really bothers me in this story. And if you didn't hear that message two weeks ago, you've got to go and you've got to check that out. But nevertheless, so Elijah has this threat on his life. Okay? And it says in verse 3 that Elijah hears this, and then it says, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Now, that, th- those words are so foreign to what we see in Elijah throughout his whole life. In fact, this is the only time in the scripture that we ever see Elijah afraid. Okay? Elijah, as we have established earlier in this series, Elijah is a mountain man. This guy is tough as nails. This guy is always confident. He's always bold and courageous. He's pumping up other people around him. He's confronting Ahab, the king of Israel, and calling him out for doing things that aren't right. right? He's up on Mount Carmel, and he's challenging. He, Elijah's by himself. He's challenging hundreds of other prophets, and he's talking smack to them. I mean, this guy is not a guy who lives in fear. Do you understand? This, this part sticks out like such a sore thumb in this passage. And the question is, why? Why is he afraid? I mean, yeah, he got a threat from, you know, the king's wife. Big deal. Why is he so afraid? We're going to come back to that in a minute. Let's keep reading. So it says, Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. So now he's all alone. So he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, and a broom bush is just like a, it's a large desert shrub that would sometimes be large enough that you could actually get some shade underneath it. So he came to this broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. You want to talk about a low point in Elijah's life? Wow. I mean, this isn't just low. I mean, he is coming unglued. He's basically saying, God, just kill me. 
So what's going on here with Elijah? Why is he so afraid? Why is he freaking out to the point that he is ready to die? Well, I, I want us to stop for a second and review, okay? We, I want to just review, like, Elijah's last day or so, okay? So his last day or so, here's, here's what's happened. So Elijah has, has traveled to Mount Carmel and has set up this grand face-off, right, where between him and the prophets of Baal and everyone's going to be gathered around. And that was like a whole day affair, okay, this, this standoff. And then at the very end of that day, God moves, sends the fire down. It's this amazing, amazing experience, okay? But then at that point, at the end of this long day, which must have just been totally exhausting, well, King Ahab goes to then eat and drink and just to kind of recharge at the end of a long day, right? And after they've rounded up all the prophets of, of, of Baal and had them killed, at the end of all that, Elijah doesn't go take a break. He climbs to the very top of Mount Carmel, and that's where he prays to God. And he asked God to send rain down from heaven. And then God sends this rain down from heaven. And so as the rain is starting to come down, it says, and you might not have caught this, but the very end of uh, 1 Kings 18, it says that, that uh, while Ahab gets in his chariot, Elijah goes and he runs the entire way back to town, about 16 miles. He runs at the end of this day. That's incredible to me. And so he gets back to town. And think about this for a minute, okay? This is, these are the Jewish people, okay? God has just confirmed that he is God, okay? This, this should be a moment where this prophet who's been saying this for so long, right, finally gets to just be like, hey, guys, like, look, I told you so, you know? H- here it is. And then the rain has come. I mean, this, this should be the moment where everyone celebrates and thanks Elijah, you know, for, for declaring this truth. There should have been this massive party. And Elijah, at the end of this crazy long day, should just be able to just enjoy it, you know, just to celebrate. Wow, this is great. And God's bringing all people back to him. And that should be what, what happened. Have you ever um, had a time, either you were planning like some sort of big event or, you know, there was some big production that you had to put on in your life and you were just, you know, you were working so hard, not just physically, but mentally. I mean, all your energy was going into something, you know, for that one big thing. And then when that thing finally arrived, what happens when it's just all over? And like the last person leaves, I mean, you just, you know, all the adrenaline just stops and what happens? You just, you just, right, you just pass out. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's kind of where Elijah would have been at that moment as he's gotten back into town. And instead of having people celebrate, and instead of everyone declaring, this is amazing, he gets this death threat, and he's on the run. And then, so instead of just being able to recharge and relax, no, he takes a whole day's journey out into the wilderness, running for his life. Okay, so here's, here's what's going on. Here's what's going on. Why is Elijah so afraid? Why is he crying out to God, God, just kill me? You know why? Elijah is completely exhausted. He's spent. He's done. Have you ever been so exhausted that you stop thinking rationally? Like you're just like, oh God, I just got to get to bed. I mean, you're just, you're just done. You're just poured out. You know what I'm saying? I had a, I had a moment where, where basically I was just done. I was just spent. And it actually happened last Sunday morning. Uh, it was about 7.30 in the morning. And I had a perfectly good night's sleep. I was ready to go, ready to roll. And, um, and our, that's about when our setup team comes and, and starts to 
to roll all the cases and get everything ready for all this stuff that you see out here and out in the lobby. And so I'm, I'm rolling one of the sound cases uh, for the soundboard, and I'm kind of backing it into the elevator. And as I'm doing that, and someone's pushing on the front, front end, as I'm get, getting into the elevator, I have my hand on the corner of the, of the sound case, and my, it, it kind of mashed my hand. It caught the corner of the elevator door, and it mashed my hand between that and the sound case. And, um, and I just have to tell you guys, I'm not good when it comes to seeing blood and stuff like that. Like, that's not my strong suit. You, you know what I'm saying? Anytime I think that there's been, like, a significant injury, um, I have problems with that, okay? It's just, it's just the way it goes with me. So I looked at I'm like, man, that hurt. You know, I'm so proud I didn't cuss or anything. It was good, right? Um, I looked down at my hand, and there's some blood going on there, and my knuckle doesn't quite look right on my left hand. Like, it just doesn't, it just looks kind of funky, and that was enough for me. I was just like, oh, and so, you know, the people who were there said, like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm good, I'm good, you know, and I just walked right by, I'm like, fine, and I walked down to the, uh, to the custodian's lounge area, okay, and I'm looking for some ice, so I walked down, I walked down the hall, and I get into the custodian's lounge, and I'm looking around, trying to find some ice, I radio the custodian, the little walkie-talkie that they give us, and I'm like, could you get me some ice for my hand, please, Amara, who was the woman on, on duty that day? She says, sure. So then, meanwhile, like, I'm starting to sweat. Like, you know, like, the, I'm starting to, it's, things are starting to spin a little bit. I'm like, I just got to sit down, you know? So I go, and I sit down in this chair. I put my hand on the desk. And the next thing I know, you guys, I'm in a totally different place. Anybody ever passed out before? Oh, man, it's funky, isn't it? I mean, it's just crazy. So the next thing I know from going, putting my head down on the table, now I'm, like, looking up at the ceiling. And... There's this woman who's, like, doing this on my chest. <laughs> and it's my dear friend, Amara, who helps us so many Sundays, um, my custodian here. And, uh, and she's just rubbing my chest. I don't even remember what she, but she was, like, just, just, she's like, oh, please, oh, please, just wake up, wake up. <laughs> and and she, said, she said to me a couple minutes later, she's like, I need to learn CPR, man. Like, <laughs> totally freaked me out. Like, totally freaked me out. Um, and I got to tell you, by the way, um, this isn't the first time that this has happened to me. Uh, it's kind of like a thing that, that I guess we do now at, at when, when Grace is at a certain space. I have to kind of anoint the space in my own special way. And so when we were at Key Elementary School uh, a few years back, I managed to drop a folding table on, on my foot when I was wearing some open-toed shoes. And I, like, I broke my big toe and took my, you know, just it was blood and it was beautiful. And I was just like... I, I was like, hey, guys, and I was like, I'm about to go, and I just put my arms around about the two guys who were working sound, and, and they just slumped me to the floor, and it was awesome, because, uh, because Krista, John's wife, Pastor John's wife, Krista, she, I love Krista. Krista, are you here? No, you're not here. Okay. She, she comes, like, flying in, and she's like, somebody call 911, you know, which is just, God bless her, you know, do CPR, um, so anyway, um, but here's, here's the thing for me. Like, I'm not the guy you want to have in an emergency situation. That's, that's kind of the bottom line. It's just I see things that aren't looking so good, and I just go down. But, you know, I had no control over this, okay? The reality is that's just how my body reacted. My body just shut down. It just shut down on me. Same thing happens to Elijah here. I like to think of myself as on the same level as Elijah. You know what I'm saying? We both have this tremendous quality. Um, but Elijah, 
really his body starts to shut down too. Let's look at what happens next in verses 5 through 9. It says, then Elijah lay down under the bush and he passed out. No, he didn't. He didn't pass out. He fell asleep. Okay. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat, Elijah. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he lay down again. Do you see how exhausted Elijah was? The angel of the Lord came back a second time. And touched him again and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So Elijah got up and he ate and he drank again. And then it says, strengthened by that food, he traveled on to his destination. See, Elijah is a guy who does life full contact. It's the only way that he knows how to live. But in the midst of all that he had going on, you know, in, in, in all the confrontation and in all what had happened to him in that last, you know, 24 to 36 hours, he just flat out had neglected his most basic essential needs. Washington, D.C., this city we live in, is a full contact city. Amen? It is full contact intense. Okay? I know there are many of you in this room that after this service, you're going back to work, like right, right now. I mean, it, this city will take everything that you're willing to give it. It's full contact, and we are full contact types of people. And what happens is sometimes when we're, when we're running and we're charging hard and we're trying to do this thing, you know, we believe God wants us to excel in so many different areas, and we're working and we're fighting and we're running. What happens is we get like Elijah. And we neglect certain things. And so the first question that I have for you that I want you to reflect on this morning is what are you neglecting? What in your life are you neglecting? Maybe it's something physical. Maybe you're just not giving yourself enough sleep. You're, you're running your battery down. You're not taking care of yourself physically like you should be. Or maybe you're neglecting a relationship in your life. And you, and you know you are. And you just have that sense. You know, or maybe you're neglecting your time with God. Just a time to, to you know, nurture yourself spiritually. Whatever that is, I want you to think about what is it that I'm neglecting? Because if you're here this morning and maybe you saw the title of the message today, it's about recharging and how we recharge as part of a full contact life. And you were thinking, man, I need that so bad. I mean, I am just desperate. I am poured out and I need help and I need to recharge. If you're thinking that, then... You know why you're thinking that? Because there is some area of your life that you're neglecting. You're not in balance. And, and you've got to figure out what is it that you're neglecting. So I want you to think about that. See, here's the deal. For as great as Elijah was, for, for as amazing a prophet as he was, and amazing as a person he was, I mean, if you think about this, you know, whether you're Jewish, Christian, or Muslim, everyone, those three Faith traditions all say that Elijah was one of the greatest people to ever walk the face of the earth, okay? For as great as he was, he neglected things in his life. He didn't have a life of balance. He didn't. There was only one that I can think of who's ever walked this earth that has had balance, that hasn't neglected certain things, and that person is Jesus Christ. And I want to look at Jesus for a few minutes 
and what we can learn from Jesus. And so if you have your Bible, if you would turn to Mark chapter 1, um, I put a few verses um, in your outline as well. But um, what you see, if you look, just Mark chapter 1, is just, it's great because to me, it, it shows just a, a kind of what would be a typical day. I mean, I don't know if Jesus had a typical day, but it shows to me just like what a classic day would have looked like for Jesus. And so you see, if you read Mark chapter 1, that he's doing all sorts of stuff. He's traveling around. He's teaching in the synagogues. He's, he's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's visiting with his disciples. He's doing all these different things that he came to do. And in Mark chapter 1, you see that he's been doing all these things. And then towards the end of the day, maybe in the afternoon, he goes and he visits with Peter, one of his disciples. We're not sure if, if Peter was his disciple at that moment or, you know, if, if, if uh, he wasn't yet. But um, he goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house. And um, he heals her because she's sick. And he's spending some time visiting with her and visiting with some other people. And, um, and then we see what happens the rest of the evening in Mark 1, 32 through 38. It says, that evening after sunset, so it's dark now, okay? That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door of Peter's mother-in-law, okay? The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. You talk about a day, okay? Now, check this out. So we're not sure what time Jesus went to bed that night, but it says in verse 35 that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they said, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. And Jesus said, let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That's why I've come. Are you getting a sense of just how busy Jesus was? I mean, does this start to give you a little bit of an illustration? I mean, we think that we live crazy, intense lives here in Washington, D.C. I don't know that anyone was busier than Jesus. I mean, this is crazy to me, you guys. I mean, you notice the story doesn't say that Jesus, you know, he went off early in the morning, he went and he prayed with his father, and then he came back to the house, and they said, Jesus, where were you? No, no. They tracked him down. Do you understand how crazy that is? Like, they went and found him. And they're like, Jesus. I mean, there's all these people lined up at the door, and they're great, and they, they need stuff, and we need you, and where are you, Jesus? I mean, that is nuts, man. You think your job is crazy, and it probably is. But, man, I, I mean, this is, this is not healthy, okay? But here's the coolest thing to me. Here's the coolest thing. So, in that moment, when they say, Jesus, we need you, and there's all these people, and you know, and, and you've got to speak to people and heal people, and there's someone who's got a demon, and you've got to do all this stuff. What does Jesus say? He says, no. <laughs> now, many of us have never, ever thought about the fact that maybe Jesus Christ actually said no to people, and that maybe that was how he was able to live a full contact life. 
Maybe your picture of Jesus has always been like, no matter where he was, whoever was there, you know, and there's stories where he would have compassion and he would stop and he would do things. He certainly was in the moment. He was fully present. But there were plenty of times where Jesus would have to say, no. I mean, don't you think everyone would have wanted more time with Jesus? I mean, he had to set boundaries. He had to tell people no. That is an essential part of living a full contact life. Just like Jesus said no, the question for you is what do you need to say no to? In order for you to live a full contact life, to stay charged up, to be able to run this race to completion, what do you need to say no to? And this really ties in with the first question. Because here's the thing. If you're sitting here and you already have a sense of something that you've been neglecting in your life, there's an area of your life where you're like, I know I just don't give enough time to this. Okay? If you know that, then already what you know is you have to allocate some of your precious time and energy that you don't have to something that you've been neglecting. So the only way that's going to happen is then if you will say no to something else. What strikes me about this story is what Jesus could have come back to and spent that whole day doing in that village was good stuff, really good stuff. People who needed his help, people that he could have counseled, people that he could have healed, he could have taught. I mean, it would have been a great day. You know what I'm saying? But he had to say no to good stuff because he had to be about God's stuff. You know, he had to say no to some good things because there were some better, more important things that he had to focus on. So he had to say no in order to do what God wanted him to do. Now, you may be sitting here this morning, and you're like, okay, um, that's pretty tough. Like, how do you make that call? You know, isn't that the million-dollar question? Okay, so then what do you say no to, and what do you say yes to? Well, how did Jesus figure that out? How did Jesus figure out what to say no to? Well, it's in verse 35, just in case you missed it, and we'll read it again. It says, very early in the morning, While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. See, the reason that Jesus knew that it was his time to go is because he had spent time talking with his heavenly father. That was the the way. It says in, in, in Luke chapter 5, it tells us that this was a regular practice of Jesus. This wasn't a once, one time deal. This was a regular thing that Jesus did. Luke chapter 5 says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. This is how he stayed in tune. This is how he was able to live a full contact life. So for us here this morning, the key, you guys, the key to living a full contact life is staying in tune with the one who knows you better than you know yourself. That's the key. That's how you're going to figure out what little adjustments that you need to make. That's how you're going to figure out how do you stay recharged. That's how you're going to figure out what you're neglecting, what you need to say no to. You've got to stay in tune with your heavenly father. If Jesus needed it, if Jesus needed it, how much more do we need it? Amen? Maybe you're here this morning. And, um, and you're just like, you know, I know that, like, I know that, but I, my life, you don't know how busy my life is, Derek. I mean, it, I am too busy to pray. That's how insane it is. Like I've got every minute charted out. 
and you're just like, I, I, don't, I don't have the time, I can't focus, I, you know, whatever. I, I got to tell you, you are too busy not to pray. Uh, and, and the reason that I can say that is because I completely relate to you. I'm one of these people that when I wake up in the morning, I am charged up and I'm ready to go. I mean, I, I am just ready to hit it. I'm already like at 15,000 RPMs, like as I'm stepping out of the shower, okay? And I'm just ready to, to do life. And it's so hard for me, and maybe you can relate, okay? It's so hard for me sometimes just to, just to stop and to pray. Because, and as I start to stop and pray, my mind's already like, I'm on to what my whole rest of my day, I'm planning the whole day, okay? Like and by the time I get done with my prayer, I don't even know where the prayer ended and where I started, but it wasn't much. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's really difficult. Prayer and you might not, this might be way outside of your paradigm that you can fully grasp as I'm standing up here, okay? I'm just the same as you guys. I'm just a person. And I might be a pa- pastor at Grace, but I struggle with my prayers. I, prayer is especially for myself. That's one thing that I really struggle with. It's difficult for me. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm not, you know, if you have a prayer request, you can still send it my way. I'll still pray for you, okay? <laughs> and I try and do that. And you might notice that Often what I try and do is I just try and pray for you right there on the spot. You ask me for prayer, let's pray right now, okay? Let's just go, okay? So you please, don't think that my prayers, you know, don't count or something. You know, you can still bring them, you can still bring them over here and we'll pray. And God's going God's gonna to do what he's going to do. But the point is that it's tough for me. And so, you know, I've, it's just been, it's just one of my things. Some of you guys are here and you just love to pray and boom, you're just there and you can talk to God and it's beautiful and you're focused. And others of us, man, we really struggle. So I want to share with you uh, something that, that you might find helpful. I try and, one of the things I live by is I try and, and just, you know, try different things, try new things, try creative ways to, to infuse my, my prayer life and my, and my spiritual journey. And, um, and I think that that's a really healthy exercise to go through. So I'm going to share with you something that I've been doing just very recently um, that has helped me tremendously. And uh, maybe you're here this morning and you... You know, you're, you're like, yeah, that's the one area of my life that I've been, that I feel like I am neglecting. It's, it's my relationship with God. It's my prayer life. You know, I need to do better with that. Maybe you're just looking for a little infusion of energy. Well, let me give you, let me give you an idea, okay? So um, this is a notebook that I just picked up uh, just a few days ago. And I started as I was putting this message together. Um, and it, this is actually something that I, that I read by an author named Gordon McDonald. And basically, he, he lays out a technique. And the technique is you would keep a journal, but there's a couple of catches to it because I've done journals before. And one of the things that I struggle with is like, well, how much do you write? And you, you know, and you can, I can kind of get overwhelmed and think, I don't know. I just, I need a little bit more structure than that. So his technique is this one page. That's all you get one page a day. No, you know, no more than that. Okay. No more than one page. And what you do is you write the date and you typically would do it in the morning if you can, but you write the date and then you start with the word yesterday. Okay. And this isn't so much like you're trying to write all your prayers out in the beginning. You just write the word yesterday, and then you start to just write about yesterday and what happened. And I want to tell you something, and I particularly want to talk to the guys in the room for a second, okay? Because I think, especially for the men, that we can be so focused on charging ahead and what is happening today and tomorrow that we don't spend enough time reflecting on what, what has been. Okay? Typically, women are better at that than men are. So this has been a tremendous tool for me, okay? Because as I start to write what happened yesterday, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, this was cool, and this happened, and man, you know, why did my wife just totally blow up about this? You know, that ticked me off, you know? And, and you're just kind of just, just putting some thoughts down on paper. Here's the cool thing. So you get towards the bottom of the page, and you draw a line, 
okay? You draw a line, and then you just write a couple of bullet points of some prayer requests. And you know what? God will bring some prayers into your mind. If you do this little exercise, it's pretty cool. When you slow down long enough, and that's one of the benefits, you actually, like, my RPMs go from, like, 15,000 to, like, 5,000, you know, just for a couple minutes. All of a sudden, instead of just being like, yeah, God, what should I pray for this morning? All of a sudden, I've got some things that I'm like, yeah, what was up with that? Help me to understand my wife. Dang it, God. You know, like, whatever it is, and I put that down, okay? And so that's kind of the way this thing works. And it's great because it's, it just, that's, you know, it's, it's a very short contained amount of time, but it really, really helps you to focus. And so um, I just want to encourage you to think about this, and I'll tell you the three things that it's really done for me that has helped me tremendously. And again, this is confessions of someone who struggles with prayer, okay? Um, it's, it's forced me to slow down, which has been a great thing, even just for a couple minutes. And it's helped me as I slow down to just be a little bit more balanced, a little bit more centered, and a little bit more in tune with hearing God's voice. The second thing is it's really helped me to examine some things in my life that otherwise I'm just kind of skating along and I'm making the same mistake again and again and again. My wife and I are having the same argument again and again and again. And you know what I'm saying? Like it's actually helped me to work through and, and answer some of these questions. Yeah, what am I neglecting? What's up with that? You start to examine your life a little bit and all of a sudden it makes you more effective. You can really learn a lot from, from looking in the rearview mirror. And we don't do that enough. So it helps me to see what I'm neglecting and, and what I need to say no to. But the last one, and this, is, this has been huge for me, because, you see, I, I, don't, I don't have, for, in my own prayer for myself, I don't have, like, a lot of answered prayers necessarily. I, don't, I can't look back and be like, oh, yeah, God answered seven of my prayers, you know, in the last month. It's just, God is good, you know. I'm, I'm trucking along, doing the best that I can kind of a thing. Um, but because I just have these little bullet points of prayers each day, and as I would just start to pray about just the things that were going on, um, like this, this week, I had four answers to prayer. Four. And like, that was amazing for me. I would have just taken one. Like, you know, it was crazy. And so um, that just builds your faith. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it just, it pumps you up. It's a really cool side benefit that I didn't even really, you know, wasn't thinking about when I started the exercise. So um, I just encourage you, if you're here this morning and you're like, you know, I do, I need to jumpstart spiritually. I know I do. You know, my prayer life has kind of gotten stagnant and I need to try something. And maybe you're like, oh man, the journal thing, are you kidding me? Like, I don't want to do the journal thing. I've tried that once and, you know, that's, try it for one week. Just try it for one week. One page. One page a day. Just give it a shot. I mean, especially if you're here and you're like, you know, your, your prayer life's kind of flat anyway. What do you have to lose? Just try it for one week and see what might happen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for um, your word and for this story of Elijah. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the lessons that we can learn through his life. And um, for the fact that, Lord, as great as Elijah was, that he still struggled. He neglected basic things that he needed to do. And, Lord, help us to see in our own lives the things that we're neglecting, the things that we must devote time and attention to if we are going to be, you know, full contact life kind of people. Lord, um, we thank you for just how you showed us how important it is to prioritize prayer with you. We thank you that uh, you show us it's okay to say no. 
sometimes to really good things, but that we might be able to focus on great things, things that are of you, God. So help us to have the wisdom to know what to say no to, where to focus our time and our energy. And and God, just help us to stay in tune with you. Whatever that looks like, whether that's trying something new this week um, with a journal or or whether it's just, you know, having just more of a commitment to, to try and carve out a few minutes and to spend it with you. Lord, help us, God. We need your help if we're gonna do this thing called full contact life. In Christ's name, amen.